The gospel appointed for today is about divorce. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's also about marriage. And I'm pretty sure it's about unity in a community of faith. Hear the word of the Lord. Some Pharisees came and to test Jesus, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said Moses allowed for a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote that commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples again asked him about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her and... If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've been cautioned that merely reading this scripture sends many of you off some writing your own sermons about what it's about, some hearing echoes of sermons you have heard regarding this in the past. Some of you are hoping that I'll make a strong case against divorce. And others of you are bracing for me to do just that. One pastor shared that he stood in a fellowship hall on a welcome Sunday. He was newly appointed to that church, was standing there being greeted by congregants. A woman he had not yet met came up to him, straight to him, did not give him so much as a, we're glad you're here, tell us about your family. She went straight to it. Pastor, do divorced people go to hell? Like the Pharisees coming at Jesus, he sensed that there might be some sort of trap involved in this. He didn't know what her situation was, but he knew there was something going on in her life to make her ask such a question. He stammered out a reply, better people than me have gotten divorced, which is surely true, as it is true that worse people than him have gotten divorced. Divorce is not reserved for any type of person, and those who have experienced it cannot be classified in any meaningful way. It happens to the best of us, it happens to the worst of us, it happens to those in between. What was behind that lady's question is that her son had been divorced and was about to get remarried, and she was concerned for the state of his soul because of the scripture that I've just read to you. 
I'd like that scripture better if I thought the Pharisees in it were actually concerned about the state of people's souls. If they were concerned about the condition of their home lives, if they were concerned about the plight of women and children. But that's not how the story goes. The Pharisees were there to trap Jesus. They set him up to see if he would be bold enough, as was John the baptizer, to condemn Herod for his divorce. The Pharisees didn't need a biblical interpretation. They knew what Moses said. They knew that he said a man could divorce a man could divorce his wife. They were after a trap. What they got was much more than a clever sidestepping of their trap. What they got was a deeper, more meaningful conversation about life together. Jesus wasn't interested in condemning or condoning a king that day. He was interested in the plight of the people, the everyday people. The women left to starve or or worse if their husbands decided to divorce them. The children who were affected by it, the community that was weakened by division, rather than deliberate over whether divorce is permissible, Jesus focused on what God intends, that what God has joined together not be torn apart. Jesus seemed more interested in the uniting than the dividing. Maybe we should be too. I found that living in fear of the potential of being torn apart is not as productive as seeking to strengthen that which holds us together. And based on the broader context of this teaching, with Jesus' concern over our not putting a stumbling block before others, with our practicing self-discipline, with our not hindering a child from coming to Him, It seems to me that Jesus is using the gift of people united in marriage as an illustration for what he longs for his church to be like. God joins people together. We have a sacred ceremony to join husbands and wives. We have a sacred ceremony to join infants and believers with Jesus and His church. We have a sacred ceremony to welcome confirmands and new members into the life of a faith community. And we've been instructed that what God joins together, we're to work to keep together, to do our part, to deepen those connections. Even if we're not always successful. I feel like I should mention that three years ago on this same Sunday, I preached about divorce. I did so with fear and trembling. I worked extra hard on that sermon because I knew how sensitive that topic would be, is. So when I came around to this passage again, I thought I'd see what I said three years ago. I was relieved. I think it's worth considering. I will put that in our, a link to that in our words from Will tomorrow for you to read if you'd like. You don't know what I'm talking about when I say words from Will. What's wrong with you? (laughs) See me, we'll get that straight. Three years ago, I focused on the divorce part of the scripture. But today, I want to give attention to the joining part. 
or more precisely, the strengthening of that union. I think it's critical for marriage. I also think it is critical for those of us who are trying to learn what it means to be Christians in community together. But let's start with marriage. We learned some interesting statistics in our marriage class this week. Some of you men are going to wish you had signed up. The author of the study, Pastor Adam Hamilton, surveyed thousands of members in the congregation he leads. The survey covered a lot of ground, including the frequency of intimacy. Of those couples who were intimate twice a week, do I have your attention now? 71% went on a date together at least monthly. 57% were in conversation with each other at least 30 minutes a day. And 80%, 80% worshipped together regularly. While you're thinking about where to make dinner reservations this week, I'm thinking about how to get that on a billboard. More worship, more... We could fill this place up. The study also revealed that those who pray together daily were twice as likely to be intimate twice as week as those who seldom or never pray together. There's some books on prayer in our Schofield Library. Those are statistics coming out of a particular church in Kansas, but the national statistics support the finding. As it turns out, that active involvement in the life of a church decreases the likelihood of divorce by 35% compared to those who are nominally or not involved. What that does not say is that if we get involved in church, our marriages are certain to thrive. It does suggest, however, that an active life of faith gives our marriages better chances. And that makes sense. Prayer, worship, study, time shared, These are habits that help us to strengthen what God has joined together. Habits of a life of faith. And do you see how these habits, while significant to thriving marriages, are also significant to those who seek to be thriving in their life in Christ, which therefore leads to thriving churches. When Sally and I were first showing interest in each other, we talked late into the night. For two consecutive nights, we were still talking as the sun was coming up. We covered everything from religion to politics to our families that we'd come from. We laughed a lot. Our relationship could not have gotten very far. If it began with, I'm tired, put on something meaningless on the television and let's fall asleep near each other. Now, I won't pretend that we don't have those nights sometimes these days. Nineteen years into marriage, two children, two busy jobs, we collapse more often than we'd like to. Which makes it more important now than ever that we be more intentional about not always collapsing. We have to recognize that connecting is worth the effort. That sharing Listening, being interested, caring are all part of keeping what God has joined together, joined together. 
So is being intentional about how we treat one another and how we treat others together. I think one of the major reasons that being involved in a faith community tends to strengthen a marriage is because of what a faith community demands of us. We come in here and we talk about things that are bigger than ourselves. Guided by scriptures, we talk about serving others and then we seek to find ways to do so. We talk about being selfless, not selfish. We give time every single Sunday to give thanks and praise. And that reminds us every single Sunday that the world does not revolve around us. We have built into our week that God and others deserve praise. We have built into our week that God and others deserve thanks. We are reminded regularly that God and others have needs and expectations that deserve to be considered before and alongside of ours. We come in here and we read about Jesus who modeled for a sacrifice and service and kindness and humility and then called us to do the same. We watch Him and then we read something about clothing ourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience and love and and accept that that is how we are called to be. And then we try to sort out together what it means to be like that. How wonderful. If our marriages were for others examples of living compassionately, kindly, meekly, humbly, patiently, lovingly, you stand a better chance of remaining joined together if each spouse in that partnership is committed to treating the other in those ways. But those ways aren't just for married people. Those ways are for Christian people. It's how we're all supposed to live, married or not. And in places like this, we commit to that. And we attempt to practice that. And if we're talking about that here and we're practicing that here, then surely that will find its way into our homes too. It should not surprise us that if we seek to grow in our faith and in our discipleship, that it would benefit our marriages too. Is it foolproof? Of course not. Plenty of devoted people and practicing people of faith have struggled in their marriages to the point of divorce. But there is something about practicing the faith together that helps us sort through the difficulties that every married couple faces. So if you're seeking to strengthen, not divide, what God has joined together, the church, following the ways of Christ, celebrating the union of a worldwide community of faith, it's a better place than most to start. It's good you're here. It's good that God has joined us together. Thanks be to God.